Hi, this is James Rousseau, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of The CoreLink Solution, where we look to empower you through awareness and actionable insights. On this episode, I'm pleased to welcome Jim Beach. Jim is a top-selling author of the book School for Startups and host of the award-winning show School for Startups Radio. On his show, he hosts everyone from Shark Tank judges and winners, billionaires, best-selling authors, and countless entrepreneurs. He has appeared on NPR, MSNBC, CNN, and the New York Times. He also released a book in 2018 entitled Free Marketing Using Radio and Podcasts that we'll discuss momentarily. During this episode, we go in depth about how you can start your entrepreneurial journey, even if you're not sure what area you want to operate in. Jim shares some key strategies and tips, as well as common barriers and how to overcome them. So sit back and buckle up as we're about to link up with Jim Beach. Jim, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my honor. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. And before we get started, particularly since I am hoping a number of folks who hear you almost every day, I want them to hear something different that they may not know about you. What's one fun fact that you could share that most people don't know about Jim Beach? Oh, gosh, that's hard because I talk about so many things. One <laughs> of the things that I think the people who know me for a long time are surprised is that I've now become a dog lover. I used to be an avid dog hater but now i i love my dogs and james i'm pretty convinced that my dogs have the greatest names in the history of all dogs is that right now now, now what made the shift from hater to lover i mean that's a big shift neutral to lover would be one thing from hater to lover is a big shift what drove that shift a woman my wife ah right before we were engaged and we were about to get married she said you know i'm moving in in three or four months and i'm bringing a black female doberman with me you'd be smart to go ahead and have one (laughs) and so the dog moved in like three months before she did and i bonded with the dog and at this point james i'd rather have the dog than the kids and you know (laughs) you know that old joke i'm just teasing (laughs) just teasing i I do love my dogs i know it so So it was a non-discretionary change got it yes Awesome. So Jim, you know, so folks who aren't familiar with you, why don't you spend just a moment giving some insights about the scope of what you do on School for Startups in terms of your podcast? Because I love for people to understand, you know, you have a a daily program, both uh, podcasting, radio, et cetera. Maybe just spend 60 seconds on that before we start to dive into your book, et cetera. Sure. So we're on 24 AM FM stations around the country and about 20 different internet platforms, six days a week, always dealing with the same topics that anyone can be an entrepreneur. I can't guarantee that I'm going to make you worth $10 million, but I can pretty darn well guarantee that I can show you how to make $100,000 a year. And some people may call that a job, but I don't see any problem with starting a business that looks a lot like a job, but allows you the freedom of being an entrepreneur and working for yourself and not working for the horrible man. So anything that we can do to help that cause along, that's what the show is about. Yeah. When I think of entrepreneurial enthusiast, you're one of the first faces that come to mind. Like you are on it. You are such a proponent for it. Oh, absolutely. You're such a big proponent for it. It is not elusive at all. It's not lost on me. So your latest book that came out in 2018, Free Marketing Using Radio and Podcasts. Let's talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. What was the genesis of that book? Where did it start? What made it come to life, et cetera? 
Well, it started seven or eight years ago with my very first book, School for Startup, published by McGraw-Hill. And you don't get any more prestigious than that. And I was so excited, but shocked to find out how little they were actually going to do to help sell the book. And when that sunk in, I realized that if I didn't want this to disappear quickly and produce nothing, it was going to be up to me to go out there and promote it. And so one Saturday, I remember vividly, I was watching college football on TV and I just started Googling radio shows and podcasts. And four or five hours later, I had a list of 100 shows and their email addresses. And I've done this exercise now many times, and I've outsourced it. If you go on one of the outsourcing websites, for $30, you can have someone generate a list of 400, 500 podcasts in a particular category, all of the family podcasts, all of the travel podcasts. And that's not a hard thing to do. And so I started doing this and started emailing them and started reaching out to these hosts. And I got a large percentage of them to say, yeah, we'd love to have you on the show. And so I started doing that. And eventually I've done, I don't know, 400 guest appearances on other people's shows. And the book eventually, James, went to number nine, not number nine in its category, not number nine in the business section, but number nine on all of Amazon, which, you know, it's up there with Hillary Clinton's book and stuff like that, you know. And so we were really excited about that. And it all came from a consistent radio podcast strategy that's entirely free that can be done two or three hours over the weekend that gets you set up for two or three interviews during the week. And it's not just books that you can sell. Absolutely anything that you need to promote about your small business will work this way. And also it turns you into one of those rarities called a thought leader. You know, if you've been on a hundred different podcasts, you're starting to develop the qualities of a thought leader, someone who's going to get invited to do TED Talks, speeches, and things like that. So that's the whole strategy. The book in 30 minutes teaches you absolutely everything you need to know to do that. Wow, in 30 minutes. And I know before we talked about this, you said, uh, I think you said to me, you know, if if you're one of those people who either read the series for dummies, right, or struggle with that, This is even simpler than reading one of those books, right? Yeah. So, you know, the dummies books are great, but they're like 400 pages and could take, you know, two or three weeks to read. This book is 80 pages long with pictures and stuff like that. And it's designed to be read in 30 minutes. So we joke that if dummies is too complicated for you, this is the series for you. And there's like 20 different books in the series covering all sorts of different topics. And I was excited that they selected me to do one on this idea of free marketing. So, and it's really, it's just a simple little strategy, a simple little book. We don't try to get fancy, you know, when we can say it in a half page and be done, we say it in a half page and then move on to the next topic. Got it. And you self-published this book? Jim? No, not at all. It's by the people who've done this series, the In 30 Minutes series. Got it. So it's a competitor to the Dummies series. Got it. Got it. So for folks listening who are aspiring to be an author and get their book published, whether they publish or self-publish, I think one of the things to note from Jim, and I don't think this is an anomaly in terms of his experience with the publisher not doing a ton of marketing and promotion is to get familiar with the ways to promote your book, 
and market your book. Uh, I've heard this for tons of authors. I would say I'm in that tons of authors as well. I learned that quickly with my book. You must be ready to do the heavy lifting on your marketing and promotion. Well, I'll take it further than that. My rule is this. You're going to spend one X getting the book written and published. You then need to spend 25X selling the thing. And so being a famous author or a successful author is not about writing today. It's about marketing and getting out there and promoting it. And it's going to take you years to do that. You don't just get to stop. You know, you have to do that for a long time. And when the book comes out, you need to have a hundred interviews lined up, things like that. Those are the things that you sort of need to get your mind around if you want to be a competitive author these days. I love that ratio. That's awesome. So now, Jim, when you talk about, you know, entrepreneurship and a lot of different folks that you have on your program, how do you, when you peel it back and folks, I'm sure you get tons of folks that come to you for advice you know, Jim, where do I start? I believe I want to be an entrepreneur. I think I have what it takes. Where should I start? You know, what what are the most ripe opportunities? How do you even begin to unpack that conversation with them? You know, some of the questions you ask them, how do you probe with them on that topic? Where do you start? Well, the, some of the things you said really scare me, ripe with opportunities, you said. Well, that means that this person's coming to me a completely blank slate and not even saying, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur in the you know, entertainment vertical. They're not That's even true. saying that. They're just, I just want to be an entrepreneur and I have no clue what I want to do. Well, that person scares the daylights out of me because uh, I'll give you the stereotypical answer, James, and then I'm going to give you my answer, right? The stereotypical answer is, well, you don't have passion for something and therefore you really shouldn't be an entrepreneur because you haven't discovered your passion yet. Does that sound like something you would hear a lot of people say, James? Yes. Okay, here's what I think. I think that that's completely stupid. And what we should do is find you a stupid business to run that will make you a lot of money that is an entree to other entrepreneurial endeavors. And I'll give you the perfect example. And I'll even tell you the story. So I am married to this beautiful woman, Megan, the one with the the black female Doberman obsession, remember? And so after been married to me for a while, I was like, you know, you really should start a business. That's sort of what I do. And it would be cool if you started a business. And she's works a full-time, very, very big job, you know, and she's got four kids to take care of and two dogs and she cooks dinner every night. And I am a huge baby and require tons of time devoted to me myself, James. And so this woman is already very busy. And to challenge her to start a business was quite a high hurdle for her. And I don't think she was very excited about it. But I gave her a book for Christmas. Nothing's more romantic than a book for Christmas. And she started the business the next day. And in that first year, she made $78,000 working full-time, taking care of four kids Mm. on the side. And so, and this is something that comes with a manual, right? It's a system that comes with a manual. You know, so many of those systems are all BS, right? But there are a lot of them that are actually true and valid. And I bought one that I happen to trust and you know what, the system works. And now that's led to all sorts of other entrepreneurial activities for her as well. And so there's all of these entree type businesses that I would encourage that lost person or the person who doesn't know what their passion is yet, to go and start in the meantime. And people are always, well, they want to know what the business my wife started was. And I always say this, get ready to be hugely disappointed 
because it's not exciting or sexy or anything like that. But she started an Amazon retail business. She buys stuff in bulk from wholesalers, from manufacturers, and then sells it on Amazon. Most people don't know that 70 to 75% of the stuff sold on Amazon, Amazon never owns. They simply go through third-party people like my wife who supply the Amazon system with strange products that otherwise, you know, Amazon would be too busy to do. Amazon has 500,000 people out there who pump their system with all of these products. And my wife is one of them, and those people make a lot of money. So I would tell that person, go start something like that, and then two or three years from now, we'll figure out what, the, what you're really designed to do. But in the meantime, let's get some experience. How's that answer, James? That's good. Gets good. So if, I, if I'm playing that back and paraphrasing, start with a model that already exists. That way you can get your business chops up, how to run a business, produce revenue, do some sales, do some marketing, balance the books, manage cash flow. And maybe during that time, you'll find something that you're really passionate about or something that you want to do and, and truly build. Is that where you're in my paraphrase? Yeah, that's that a great summary. Oh, you know, I, ha- I love franchises. I see absolutely nothing wrong with franchises for the right person. Yeah. If you're leaving the corporate world and you've got two or $300,000 of savings that you're willing to transition into something else. And there's a lot of cheap franchises too. I love the franchise model as well. I have tons of franchise people on my show because I think that's a great, it's a great model. It's got a man. And when you say for the right person, uh, say, say more about that. One, they've exited corporate America, so they have some experience. Is that one of the qualifications you put in? No, not necessarily. Okay. I like that model, but anyone who is going into it with their eyes open and willing to say, you know, I'm willing to actually do a lot of the work at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And they also have to be willing to follow instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy a Chick-fil-A, the rules are very strict. If you buy McDonald's, the rules don't appear to be that strict anymore, right? You know? <laughs> well, seriously, McDonald's right now has a quality problem. Gotcha. Uh, I don't think we can deny that, right? Gotcha. So, you know, I think that if you're willing to follow the rules and you want that structure, a little bit of structure, but still want the freedom, this is the perfect path for, for those people. Got it. Got it. And you mentioned a, a lot of variability too, right, in terms of uh, investment needed. Oh, it could be from, you know, a million dollars to build a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A, or that could be just the land. Heck, it could be five million. Oh, uh, all the way down to 5,000. There's some great $5,000 franchises uh, out there as well. And just the most important thing to remember is that 70% of the franchises are not food related. When Mm. we think of franchises, we think of food. So true. So many opportunities in other spaces, staffing. Uh, HR, cleaning, education. One of my favorite franchises is out of Texas, the Acton Learning Centers, A-C-T-O-N. It's the coolest learning model, education kid model I've seen. Uh, I think that one's $5,000. Gotcha. So to your point now, this person's gone ahead. They've figured some stuff out. Hopefully they, they find something for themselves or they stay with the Amazon thing. They find that that is so good for them. They stay with that. You know, some of the, the other folks, though, that, that have come in and said, this is absolutely what I want to do. I found my thing. I know I want to build this widget or this service model, so on and so forth. But I need some help getting started. I feel stuck. What are some of the common challenges you've seen with, with people? 
trying to get started? And then, Jim, maybe some of the steps you've seen to help them get over that barrier. Yeah, getting off the sofa is the hardest thing. The idea that I'm going to start a business, I'm, it's a simple, I'm going to start selling on Amazon. Okay, well, where do you start? That's a big challenge, right? And so what I like to do, and I'm the world's worst procrastinator, James, and so this is the only thing I've learned that helps. Instead of saying, I'm going to start a business, that's a thing that involves 57 different little steps. Do 57 different steps to say today I am going to go on irs.gov and I'm going to get an EIN number, a federal employer identification number. And I'm going to do that today. And I write that on my calendar. Okay, today all I have to do, I'm not starting a business. All I have to do is go on this website and get this thing done. And I've heard it only takes like four minutes. Well, I can do that today. Boom, it's done. Well, then tomorrow what I'm going to do is go on the Secretary of State website and fill out the application there to get the state license for my business. Oh, okay. Well, how long? I hear that takes 10 minutes. Oh, and $35 in some states. Some states, 150 But you know what? That's 10, 15 minutes of work. And I got my credit card right here. I can do that. And in 56 more days, James, all of a sudden, we're actually doing something, right? That's how I get stuffed on, like my taxes. I can't do my taxes. That's impossible. But what I can do today is find all of my bank statements from the last year. You see what I mean? Absolutely. That's, that's, how I, that's the way to do it. And here's a great exercise. I started my first business that I started, James, was a summer camp business. I was 24. By the time I was 31, we had grown it to 700 employees with 90 locations around the world. And here is one of our signature exercises. I want you to get a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jelly and a knife and a plate. And I want you to sit down and make a peanut butter jelly sandwich and have someone standing next to you and write down the steps. And so here's the first step. You take the jelly and you put it on the bread and then you put the peanut butter on the bread, right? I've made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But in reality, you said put the peanut butter on the bread. So what the person does or the computer program picks up the jar of peanut butter and puts it on the loaf of bread still in the wrapper. Mm -hmm. That doesn't look very appetizing. And what we've learned is that there's 57 steps in making a peanut butter sandwich. There is taking the twisty tie off the loaf of the bread. Then you have to put the twisty tie down. Now you have to unbundle where it was all crunched up and put your hand in. Then you have to throw away the heel. Then you have to be, reach in again and grab. You see what I mean? That's the way you start a business. Right. Find it out the 57 individual tiny little steps and just do one a day. Yep. Break it down. Bite-sized pieces. Love it. Love it. So now on the other side of this, a lot of times we don't like to talk about what we perceive as, as failure, but um, I prefer to call it, you know, the lessons, right? What are the lessons we learned from those opportunities that didn't pan out to the success that we wanted? You know, the entrepreneurs that you've had the opportunity to spend time with that didn't make it the first time out the gates, the second time, third time, fourth time no matter what it was, right? What were some of the most significant lessons that you've seen people learn through some of those journeys? Cash flow. It's all about cash flow, I think. And so one of my obsessions is that risk is bad. Now, by definition, therefore, we're not going to spend money that we can't afford to lose. I love to start a business for under $5,000. People laugh at me and say it can't be done. And then I have example after example after example in industry after industry after industry, even in the restaurant 
bar space where it takes a million dollars to start one. You know, I know the people who've done it for $5,000. Don't tell me it can't be done, right? And so I limit my investment to $5,000 and then I'm obsessed with cash flow and bootstrapping. I think that the bootstrap model is 90% of the formula for success because if you don't have $50,000 of debt to repay or you don't have a $5,000 a month rental bill for office space, it's a lot easier, you know, uh, my friend, actually, he's my stepbrother-in-law, Joey, only had $5,000 to start a bar. So he started what you and I, James, would call a dump, a dive. Uh, it was a linoleum floor that used to be a barbershop. It still had the big circle on the floor where the chair used to sit from the barber's chair, right? That was his bar. They opened up a place across the street. They spent $2 million. It had the big brass brewing equipment, all of the gorgeous stuff in the lobby. How many beers do you have to sell? to recoup your $2 million investment versus how many beers do you have to sell to recoup your $5,000 investment? Right. Easy math. Easy math. So Jim, let's go deeper into bootstrapping, if you don't mind, because I don't want to assume everyone listening understands what you mean when you say bootstrapping. Would you spend a minute on that? Sure. You know, absolutely any and everything you can do to reduce your startup cost. So if you're building a website company, then I am going to tell you to give away 20% to the co-founder that does all of the programming. And maybe you have to go out and spend six months finding that person and you go on co-founder websites, of which there are many. Or you go on Upwork and develop a long-term relationship with a programmer. I've been using the same programmer for three or four years now, James. I've never met the guy. And I go to him from time to time and say, hey, I need $2,000 of programming. I don't have the cash right now. I'll gladly blank give you 10000 if the deal works out, whatever. Right. Whatever to reduce my cost, I'll do the same thing with marketing partnerships and try to go out there and say, hey, if you do some free marketing for me, uh, I'll do this. Right. Uh, absolutely anything that you can do to reduce or to offset or to delay any expense that you might have. And again, this is one of the biggest arguments people get in with me is that you just can't start a business without blank. And I just point to the vast majority of people who did. I think my favorite statistic is that 480 of the Fortune 500 companies were bootstrapped. And it's a long-term thing that builds in a long-term mentality of not spending money, of frugality, of fighting hard to figure out how to do something cheap, right? Instead of doing the expensive thing to have an ad campaign that would be really cool. Instead of that, you start a really flashy contest that people fight to, you know, to do. Remember the ice bucket challenge. The oh, ice yeah. bucket challenge was sure. because they couldn't afford a real ad campaign. And so they started this challenge and it caught on and millions of people did it, right? Uh, you know, that's a great example of a marketing campaign that didn't cost much, right? Anything that you can do, including giving away equity, giving away future deals, or just doing the work myself. Gotcha. Awesome. 
Awesome. This has been great, Jim. Um, thanks for, for the insights. One of the things I would ask you personally, you know, you're, you're on six days a week, you're talking to hundreds, thousands of entrepreneurs. What do you do to keep yourself fresh and abreast of all the changes that are going on? So many different changes happening in the business space, right? Whether it's technology, practices, uh, workplace rules, everything that, that folks have to deal with. What do you do to sharpen your saw? For me, it's the easiest in the world because I'm talking to 15 experts a week. So I'm constantly getting updated on every single aspect by the people that I have on my show. So you should spend an hour a day with me getting caught caught up on every topic. And we talk about everything. We devoted the entire month of February to Black History Month. And James, you were one of my guests there. I was so happy to talk with so many great African-American entrepreneurs. So I, I'm caught up there now. And then we're going to have a social media month where all my guests are going to be social media experts, right? And so I get caught up on Instagram and the latest there and the latest uh, YouTube techniques. Entrepreneurs need to be learning on a continual basis, nonstop education for entrepreneurs. And so the small things like a podcast every day that you listen to, or reading the news every day, you know, spending an hour devoted to self-education, reading a book every day. I don't necessarily want you to read the book, just read the three or four page synopsis. Those are just as good, mm. right? But I'm devoted to continual learning. Oh, hell, I was a horrible student. I spend more time now than when I was in college learning on a daily basis. There you go. There you go. Well, two closing questions for you, Jim. You know, when you think about uh, books that have impacted you the most as an entrepreneur, as a person who uh, is a master of podcasting right now or, or whatever the case may be, what are the three most impactful books that come to mind for you? Uh, only one's immediately jumping into mind, which is the Millionaire Next Door series, right? And there was just an update of that. A Millionaire Next Door is a 25-year-old book from Charles Stanley, a professor at Georgia State University, and his daughter, Sarah Falah, F-A-L-L-A-W, just updated that book. And it talks about how most millionaires got there. Mm -hmm. And 89% of the millionaires in the United States are first-generation millionaires. They did not have wealthy parents. They were not inheriting money, right? And the fact that most of them, the average millionaire, lives in a $200,000, $300,000 house and drives a Ford, not a Ferrari, right? So the perceptions that we have of a millionaire are wrong. That book just changed everything I thought about, the way I live my life, the way I save money, how flashy I want to be. I don't care if I don't dress well. I'm not a dresser. I live in a $365,000, 3,000-square-foot house, a very normal, old, 50-year-old house, right? I let people judge me on other stuff, not my perceived wealth. I like to secretly be wealthy. My grandfather died a millionaire, and no one knew, and that was right. the coolest thing ever. Got it. Love it. Yeah, it's a book I've read twice and hold on to. Certain books like that in Think and Grow Rich are just priceless or timeless, yep. rather. Yeah. Last question. If you could go back and talk to the 18-year-old or 20-year-old Jim Beach, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give him? Oh, get fired by the corporate world a little earlier, perhaps. <laughs> that was a blessing. Coca-Cola escorting me to the door was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. So that would be good. Keep better financial records and 
bootstrap earlier, right? I lost a million dollars one time, James, on a business that I thought I was too smart to bootstrap and learned that. And I got beaten out by someone who did bootstrap. So, you know, one time I was decorating some offices. So I bought those laser projection systems that create your logo on the floor and then your logo can bounce around. Like you see those at the NBA games, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I bought three of those for my office. Oh, wow. There's a moron for you. Wow. You know what the ROI on a laser projection system is? No. It's like negative 400 trillion. <laughs> and, then, and then the uh, the escorting out of Coca-Cola, is that literally what happened? Yeah. Literally. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got uh-huh. it. That's a great uh-huh. story to tell sometime. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, Jim, thank you again for taking the time. I know your schedule's crazy. I'm sure you have your show to get ready for today. But uh, thank you for being on the Corling Solution. Appreciate you again taking the time. My honor, James. Thank you for having me. Thank you for linking up with me for another episode of The CoreLink Solution. You are informed and empowered and can now be accountable. A few takeaways for me from this episode. Number one, if you're in the process of writing a book or planning to do so, remember the ratio of effort that Jim talked about. 1x time to write and publish the book, 25x in terms of creating that marketing and promotions for the book. Number two, if you're going to be an entrepreneur but not sure what the business is yet, try an existing model. He mentioned Amazon retailing and franchising as being viable models, allowing you to learn a business, running it from revenue down to cash flow. And he talked about the importance of cash flow as well. And then during that time, you may figure out what you want to do longer term. Number three, bootstrapping. And that flows from that point of cash flow and the importance of it. Jim's rule was no more than a $5,000 investment. From there, he tries to reduce offset and delay expenses. He mentioned striking deals to pay later, giving equity to key partners and other options. He talked about even that trade-off of time consciously may take a longer time to start the business, but reducing the cash flow exposure was most important. And then number four, to get started, it's not just about saying starting the business and letting that big barrier stand in front of you, breaking it down into bite-sized pieces so you can get work done. Those are my takeaways, and I'd certainly love to hear yours. Further, if you find the podcast to be of value, please subscribe, rate, and review. As you listen to these podcasts, you may have questions, hear some things that are new to you, terminology you may not have heard before. All those things are good. I'm here to serve. Go to our website, thecorelinksolution.com, and right below the show notes, you'll see a comment section. Add other things you took away from the show questions you can put them right there mention challenges you face in the areas that we cover and you can even tell me about guests you'd like to hear from in the future alternatively you can do the same through facebook instagram or twitter thanks so much for linking up see you next episode